Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright. And if you listen real close, like you can hear the soldiers saying, lens flare, lens flare, lens flare, lens flare. <laughs> Oh, Pete and his lens flares. Uh, today, we're talking about Minute 96, which begins with Cap letting Red Skull know how long he can do this. And it ends with Dum Dum Arnimolating the Hydra Troopers. That's, that's right. <laughs> I did that. Uh, and you give me trouble. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Joining us on the show this week, we have Nate Bubbleweed with Roe from the superhero movie blog Flights, Tights, and Movie Nights and the Time Loop podcast. It's time to rewind. Hello, Nate. Yay. Hey. It's good to be back. Good to have you back in a very action-filled week. We are kind of right at the peak of all of this battle that is happening. And, uh, well, I should say, we're, we're getting to the peak. As the minute starts, we're kind of left at this moment where Cap had surrendered himself, uh, or I suppose, you know, he had been captured by the overwhelming horde of Hydra troopers, and here he is in... Schmidt's office lab on his knees after Schmidt just dealt him a few blows. And uh, and then, of course, he has his I can do this all day. And here we start. So uh, let's just start with uh, with the film itself, though, Nate. As far as Captain America goes, are you a fan of this film? You know, I, I feel like this is kind of mid-tier Marvel. Uh-huh. You know, I don't love it, but I don't hate it. It It does what it needs to do. I, I feel like, and in, in watching it again, there's definitely so much that I love. Like, it, it really sets up Chris Evans' Captain America character very well. The There's just a few, like, uh, movie-making problems and a little bit of story tropes, especially towards the end, that, uh, that kind of bug me a little bit here and there. But uh, overall, you know, it's it's fun to watch it. It was good revisiting it. I, I think it's been... A long time since I've watched this. Had you read the comics? I can't remember if you were a comics person or just a movie fan. No, I I had never. I still have never read a single Captain America comic book, but I've <laughs> seen all to what like six movies. <laughs> yeah, they just keep cranking these things out. Okay, so so to that end, then um, you know you're a fan of. The kind of the character and stuff, but this film as it stands isn't necessarily your favorite. Which uh, which of the Captain America films would you say is your favorite? Oh, Winter Soldier, definitely. That seems to be the uh, the one often brought up as a favorite. I don't. I guess I don't hear many people say Civil War. It's either it seems to be this one or Winter Soldier. Pete, which one is yours? No, oh, Winter Soldier. Come on, uh, just checking. Come just on, checking. I already know how long he can do this. I want to get to some intrigue and spy stuff. <laughs> oh, that's right. It's the seventies spy material. Absolutely, <laughs> that's right. It's good that's stuff. That's right. What do you think, uh, Nate? As far as the uh, the quips and things like, I can do this all day. Are you a fan of those sorts of lines that uh, not not just Captain America, but a lot of Marvel characters throw around? Yeah, I, I think that they're a lot of fun. They they help break the tension it's adds humor i you know um like I've, i had just finished watching um black adam just two days ago and i i thought that felt like it was kind of aping the marvel formula a bit as well mm. uh, but it's 
you know, I, I don't think it detracts from the character at all. And I think that they do a decent job of still giving each superhero the are their own personality and their own sense of humor. Uh, even though they all have their moments where they have the quips. They all sure do that. We even get quips this week from Colonel Phillips. So <laughs> it is quips, a- quips this week, though. And here's the variation on this particular question. We already know that Steve can do this all day vis-a-vis getting beat up in an alley. And now he's getting beat up again, this time in uh, the Hydra base. It does the callback work. I can do this all day. And maybe it's because we've been talking about this movie for so many weeks and making the joke about I can do this all day that it feels like we've been doing this for about 10 years. But but I just wonder, is the callback of the quip as effective as if he just said it the one time? Do we need small Steve to have said it already? I, I feel like it works because this is really the first time that he's come up with somebody that's in an equal level threat because through the rest of the movie after the super soldier serum, he's just been taking on all the Hydra goons and the henchmen. And uh, this time he's actually coming up with coming up against someone who can get some licks in. And so, yeah, I I think it's the perfect time to to call this back. It actually works well that they haven't done it before. Like it it would have um, watered it down quite a bit if they had thrown it in there. Like we were joking when, he was getting the super soldier serum and, you know, and he calls out to Dr. Erskine, I can do this. And we thought it'd be funny if he said, I can do this all day. But of course it, you know, it would have ruined the, the, you know, the, <laughs> the, the, the power that it would have had at this particular point, because this is the perfect way yeah. to build that callback. What we have here though, we've got, you know, Steve gives the great line. And then I love that Red Skull is right there with his reply, <laughs> which I think is great. Oh, of course you can. But unfortunately, I'm on a tight schedule. It's it's a, a tight schedule. A tight schedule, right. Thank you for <laughs> correcting me. Uh, what do you think of Red Skull? Are you a fan of the way that Red Skull's portrayed in the film? Yeah, I, I think he looks fantastic. And from the the initial introduction with him and just kind of seeing the the kind of tears at his face at the edge of his mask and as it the movie goes on you get bits different bits here and there until you get the full reveal and i i think it does look great it has you know the 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 pronounced cheekbones and the missing nose and just the this bright comic book red yeah here's a question is this schmidt's quip moment like you always see caps uh line on t-shirts and stuff i could do this all day should we have a schmidt shirt that says i'm on a tight schedule that'd be great this might be our big chance to to do something in merch but it needs to start with 60 percent more i am on a tight schedule Noted. Yes, yes. Well, you know, I, I, I'm glad that they landed on this look, because if you if you look at any of the the designs that they had played around with when they were first working on the concept, I mean, some of them were absolutely terrifying, like straight out of a Hellraiser film where it's like, you know, a flayed face, basically, with just the raw muscles exposed. And like, I, I think that it would have, while in concept, sure, it could have looked like the super soldier serum really didn't work. And it basically ate the skin off his face. 
but in context of kind of a, a comic book film that's appealing to a four quadrant audience, I, I think that you would have had a lot more complaints. And so I think that they did land on something that actually feels, while it doesn't necessarily make sense why he ended up this way, it looks really cool. Mm-hmm. I love that you just dropped Comscore language. Who talks like that four quadrant audience? I know. <laughs> Screw that. I want I want Red Rat from the other movie. Wait, can we bring that back? <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the best things ever. That Red Rat. <laughs> Have you seen that uh, the 1990 Captain America? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So you know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. Oh, um all right. So the moment shifts here because the attention is drawn after red skull he pulls out his gun again he's using his little hydro pistol that's full of tesseract energy so if you are looking closely you could see the blue glow on his hip and as he pulls it out getting ready to blast captain america you hear a thunk 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 and we see some zip lines uh sticking into the wall just outside of his large windows and you see three people Coming down the zip lines, it turns out that it is, in fact, Fallsworth, Jones, and Dum Dum. They crash through the window, and now we have the invasion officially starting. My question for the two of you is, why didn't they just do this from the beginning? Is there a reason that they had this whole ruse with Captain America kind of sneaking in here? Like, wouldn't it have been easier if they just kind of all came in through the window? Like, all at the same time, you mean? Like, what was he trying to draw attention to? Or it from? could have been, like, the Blues Brothers, where you had a whole bunch of them hut-hut-hutting down the side of the rock face, <laughs> and then coming in from directly over the windows. Like, there are so many questions I have. I'm like, well, why don't, why, why this whole thing with Captain America? Like, I'm legitimately wondering, like, why, why did they do it this way? <laughs> well, I mean, the, of course, the real reason is the narrative tease, but uh, sure. I, I think aside from that, it is, it, it's the distraction and, you know, Cap comes in and then he has a large number of guards focused on him rather than um, any potential invading forces. So you think that it was probably like to to lower Red Skull's guard a little bit? I mean, he talks about, you know, in last week's minutes, how arrogant Captain America was to think that he could come in here and take them all down by himself. And so, yeah, I mean, maybe to your point that they've kind of loosened their their watch a little bit because of this. And always before, you know, he's he's always come in with just a small group with him. It's it's he hasn't brought in a large invading force as as far as I can remember. It's just him and the howling commandos and maybe just a, a few other soldiers with him. And it really is a a pretty simple confidence twist, right? That that it's Schmidt who says, "Oh, you're so arrogant," when in fact, it's Schmidt whose arrogance is getting him in in a position to be surprised. From the narrative perspective, I can kind of see how that's that's a little bit of the low-hanging fruit for the evil doer to be put in this position. Well, but do we buy it? Because I mean, as you just pointed out, Nate, like every time that they have attacked another of these Hydra bases, it's always been Captain America and the Howling Commandos or the invaders, as sometimes they're called in the script. But whatever, it's it's the point of it's a group of this team that has always been doing this stuff. And it almost makes me wonder if it would have made more sense if if. Red Skull said, where are the rest of where's the rest of your group? You, you know, you're always traveling together. So I don't know. Now, I I don't know. It's one of these things that does. I mean, it starts feeling very written because of these little moments. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it starts feeling very written also because we're like 
it, it's very written. <laughs> you know, and it's like at this point, I guess I'm not expecting that much more uh, at this point in the movie. It happens fast. And what I'm really in for is how cool the zip line trick is to get these three into the base and how, you know, how many more, you know, what, what kind of an action sequence dust up is it? So it doesn't actually give me a lot of time to think about whether or not I trust Schmidt's arrogance being twisted because the colonel's here very soon and i like the colonel yeah yeah colonel gets his hands dirty well yeah i mean everybody gets to jump in so i guess to that end it works it just yeah i I end up (laughs) questioning way too much about like why are they doing it this way it seems like a strange way to start the attack but it's a Captain America movie. We need to have our hero doing heroic things, and that's the that's the nature of the beast, I suppose. And making the villain look dumb. And making right? the those are the dumb. two constituent elements. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I I think that uh, some people would argue, including myself, that you don't necessarily want your villain to look dumb, and I, that perhaps that's one of the issues with this particular villain in this particular film is that. You know, for this mustache twirling villain, sometimes he's a little too mustache twirling. And it would be nice if it seemed like he had a little more forethought with his plans. You know, Andy, I think that's a really that's a really interesting observation, because we've talked in this this season before about where the movie uh, takes its more modern nods and where it takes its more period nods, right? That that in many cases, this movie kind of takes the tone of a period film, but a movie that was made in the period. And mustache-twirling vision, uh, villains, you know, were a little bit more mustache—I can't, can't say those words again. <laughs> Don't ever use those words around me again. Mustache-twirling at the time. And so maybe this is one of those, nah, you'll never get me, Captain kind of a sequence because that's a joe johnston thing like he just likes it now i want to see edward g robinson as red skull <laughs> yeah as red skull God, that would be great <laughs> come and get me kappa <laughs> <laughs> you'll never get me captain yeah, yeah. Uh, it's uh, there's an interesting uh point there about kind of the nature of that and uh, yeah i can i can see that maybe doesn't it it feels vintage right well i, I mean your point is interesting because you know it, it is taking place during a time when it was a war with a very clear villain and uh before you know wars got you know more complex as if you know that really is a thing but you know uh that was kind of the general gist of world war ii is you know all the the good guys and a very clear bad guy and to that end that could have been some of the the nature of what Johnston and team were trying to do here. So I, I can buy that. Yeah, you can't get you can't get much more clear than a guy with a giant red skull for a head. <laughs> Truth, <laughs> very true. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so now we're at this point. the the three uh, The three Howling Commandos are coming in through the window, and and Schmidt turns and uses his pistol to fire at Steve, who grabs a Hydra Trooper and uses his him as a shield. Um, I, 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 my first question is like, why, what happened to his shield? And then I was like, I had to go back to the last minute and go, oh, there's a guy in the back who's holding his shield. And somehow I just never noticed that, uh, when we were talking about that particular minute, but yeah, there is a Hydra trooper holding his shield back in the shadows. And, you know, I don't know if you heard our conversation, Nate, when we were talking about the three SS officers who Schmidt, uh, disintegrates with the Tesseract gun, but, 
the one leaves marks on the door. And so now I wonder, does Steve has have rotor marks on the front of his <laughs> suit? <laughs> I don't know. It's like, um, I I was actually thinking about that, watching it again this time later on, because these guns are made with the energy from the Tesseract, which we eventually find out is the Space Stone. Yeah. And it ends up, you know, transporting uh, Schmitz to the the planet where the Soul Stone is. Do Do you think that instead of actually being disintegrated, they're actually being teleported off into deep space. You know, I've thought about that ah. because there there is a point toward the end of the film when he, when uh, Red Skull's holding it where it kind of opens up the heavens and you can see kind of space with it. And it was making me wonder. I'm like, yeah, I wonder if these people, if their bodies are just basically getting dumped in the middle of <laughs> nowhere, you know, floating around in space and they're all just dying. And uh, But I, I, I don't know how that would explain why he ends up on on Voromir, but um, it, it, I, I think that it's a very possible idea. I, you know, I don't know if they had, I, I don't know. I always wonder like how far in advance had, had Feige come up with uh, like what this was going to be um, as he was putting this particular film together. I, I just don't know. Cause at this point it still is kind of the cosmic cube as it's, as it, you know, looks in the comics. So I, I'm not really sure. Well, I feel like we often give the Feige, a lot more credit early on than maybe is deserved. <laughs> it's there's still some things in phase one that are a little bit improvisational. Yeah. Uh, and and so, you know, I have no doubt that everything is very well orchestrated at this point, but or, you know, today as we're recording this. But uh, yeah, I, I think there are still some things that they're guessing about at this point. Yeah. Well, uh, I, it is an interesting theory, though, and it, uh, I don't know what's more horrific, being shot by Tesseract energy and instantly disintegrated or being teleported by Tesseract energy into somewhere in deep space where you uh, promptly die of, of atmosphere right. exposure. I don't know. I kind of feel like disintegration. I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure how painful disintegration is. I guess that's something to think about. It's, well, it's fast. Luckily. So if it's painful, at least it's over quickly. Yeah. Oh, geez. No matter what, it sucks. Stop <laughs> um, All right. Well, so Jones uh, lands on the desk. It's funny. When Jones comes through, he's the one in the middle. And when you see them coming through, you see Dum Dum and Fallsworth on either side. They're coming through as if, I mean, imagine you're on a, a line, a zip line. You're, you're swinging down. You're holding on to this thing. Your feet are hanging down. And when Fallsworth and Dum Dum crash through the glass, it kind of makes sense because it's like they swing up and they they come through feet first and kind of shoot through and land on their feet. I don't know what Jones did. It's like he jumped off of his thing because he kind of comes through like vertically with his hands out in front of him as if he's kind of like trying to fly through it. I, I'm not exactly sure what happens. And it's all so quick. Um, but it was such a strange thing as I was like kind of scrubbing through this thing. I'm like, why does he come through hands first and everyone else is coming through feet first? Yeah, it's almost like he lets he does. He lets go of the zip line so early that his body is in a position to what cannonball in like right. what is he expecting <laughs> to do. I, 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 I wasn't focused on the on the, um, you know, the people I, I got distracted by the stuff on the desk. Oh, okay. What what did you What's see there? A, oh, you, that they kicked off what was on the desk. Yeah, the, I could see, you know, there's a stack of books um 
with two, I'm pretty sure they're German Shepherd bookends uh, on either side of the books. And there's on the right uh, side of the desk, there is a block and I'm pretty sure it's got a Hydra logo uh, on the top of it. And, you, you know, you can't see it because it's, it's mostly in silhouette, but I, I'd like to think that it's, you know, it's like an employee of the month Hydra award. <laughs> <laughs> and Schmidt just gets it every month. <laughs> exactly. Because oh it, 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 it does look like that. It's just like a block of wood with like with the little, you with know, the like the, logo. Um, the hood ornament, Hydra right. logo. You did it! Congratulations to Schmidt. That's so funny. I'm trying to remember. I know we talked about his desk earlier in the film. I we we thought that those bookends might be wolves, uh, like the that Odin, you know, had some wolves, and we thought maybe that's what they were. But uh, it's so hard to tell that it German shepherds would make a lot of sense um, too. Yeah, I, I didn't spend a ton of time, but I, I I feel like their profile fits with the look of a German Shepherd. Yeah, 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 for sure. The other thing I'm trying to remember if that was actually um, something that we saw earlier, because I'm trying to remember if he called somebody with that. I can't remember though. But uh, anyway, it's fantastic. I, I love that he has that on his desk. And now I think we're just gonna erase whatever we said in the previous episode because we're just gonna <laughs> call it Schmidt's Employee of the Month Award. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Once again, you have honored me with this. Thank you all. <laughs> I am so proud. Uh, all right. So, well, we have these three Howling Commandos bursting in and doing their stuff. They all raise their weapons and start firing. And uh, you see right in the center, the guard who is holding Captain America's shield doesn't use it. It's like he's not really sure what to do. And I think it's really funny that, you know, he he decides I'm going to put the shield to my side and raise my gun to shoot at you instead of hiding behind the shield, which would have made more sense. Sometimes stuff is just overwhelming. Yeah. You just there's too much signal. You don't know what to do with stuff. (laughs) I think that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I like that in the back, if you look carefully, you can see Captain America fighting some some of the Hydra troops back there. Now, the one thing that's missing from this shot, though, is Red Skull. And it's funny because when he sees the three come through the window, uh, you know, he kind of turns tail uh, and scoots out of the room. But he goes out later when we see him coming through the door. It is the door that is behind Steve as he's fighting. But we don't see Red Skull anywhere in there. That's one of those little production gaffes that seems like it could have been uh, better choreographed but yeah he makes his way through the door and uh runs down the hall and uh, just like what's his name in princess bride count rugen is that his name yeah the six-fingered man that's yeah, yeah that's that's very much where my brain went when he he sees them all come in and he just turns <laughs> tail and runs <laughs> um but that really kind of this is really the the point where we are now officially as the howling commandos burst through the window and Steve starts fighting all these guards the red skull is uh, fleeing this is really the point in the film where things are shifting and we're now entering our final action sequence and it really feels that way it feels like okay things are shifting here Steve had a plan and obviously it's you know everything's in play now and I love how Fallsworth kind of picks the shield up and tosses it to Steve and Steve runs out. You know, we're slowly trying to kind of narrow things down. So it's Steve 
and Red Skull battling each other, and everyone else can kind of do their militaristic fighting and stuff. And so we've got these three, and then down... I'm, I don't know. I'm really confused about the scope of this. How high up do you think that this lab is? Like physically? In like, the mountain? Yeah, in the like when we see it on the mountain yeah. face, it seems like it's close to the top, right? Yeah, on the on the mountainside, on the cliffside, it seems like it's very close to the top. It's a lair. There is no doubt it's a lair. So how are they in the woods getting to this thing so quickly? Well, we know that... <laughs> That's... More hallways. That is always my question. We are losing a lot of hallway and Not probably hallways, a lot of elevators, elevators and yeah. stairs. Yeah. This is a real problem. Well, it's a, it's just it's built as a giant spiral. <laughs> it's like that, so everything's yeah. on a slight incline. It's it's handicapped accessible. Well, and for Schmidt to get out, there's probably a slide of some sort. <laughs> and into a giant, a giant tub of Hydra branded balls. Well, it, it has to be big enough for for the Schmidt mobile. Yeah, that's that's the question, <laughs> that's, right? That's, that's the biggest absolutely problem. the question. Yeah. Okay. So, because I, I have issues here, because we you know we see out the window. You know, granted, the Howling Commandos burst through the window. They're dressed like they were when they were on the mountainside earlier. Not for winter. And outside the window, it's very cold. It looks snowy and icy on the tops of these mountains. But they don't have gloves on. They're tough. These. That's how tough they are. They don't need gloves when they're out. But maybe it's an Austrian spring, <laughs> and it's just snowy on the tops of the mountains because at the bottom it is lush forest green. I'm a little perplexed yeah. by this. This is February in Austria, and somehow it is lush green down at the base. Because when we get outside, you know, after we see Marita and Dernier kind of blast their way in, uh, we cut outside. And so the base of this, where Steve came in with his motorcycle, I'm assuming is at the foot of the mountain. And then the mountain itself is however many feet up above that. Here's a question A typical mountain from the base of the ground where it is not from sea level but from like you know like if you're in denver which is the mile high city so i grew up in colorado springs which is about six thousand feet and the mountain the big mountain of note is pike's peak and that's fourteen thousand feet just over fourteen thousand okay so let's pretend that this is colorado springs that they're invading. Okay, let's begin. Okay. Yes, this is a great so, thought excursion. I close my so, eyes. I want some meditative so, music. <laughs> so 6,000 feet. So that means they have 8,000 feet of mountain that is in front of them, right? That's a lot. That's actually a lot of mountain. It's a lot of mountain. <laughs> well, let's just say, okay, maybe it's a shorter mountain. Let's say it's 5,000 feet. But they're in the Alps. The Alps is not known for shorter <laughs> mountains. <laughs> Well, knowing Schmidt, he went for the biggest mountain because it's always more, more, more. You know those legendary micro mountains <laughs> of the Alps. Okay, but say his lair is what, like four thousand feet up? It seems pretty high. And then where is the Valkyrie landing strip in inside this mountain? Where is is it lower than? His, I, I guess it would be lower than his base. But it wouldn't be that much lower. No. It's like thirty. No, because it feet. needs it needs altitude. So okay, the uh, Monte Rosa Massif. I don't even remember where we we found the the location where it would have been early in the season. But what I know is elevation for Monte Rosa Massif in the Alps at Great Saint Bernard Pass is fifteen thousand seven hundred and eighty-one feet. Mont Blanc and Piz Bernina are 15,780 and 13,284 feet, respectively. 
and Mount Rosa, 15203. So they're, I mean, you know, let's say they're at 13,000, 14,000 feet. But what's the city like right at the base of the mountain? That's the question. Because that's where everybody is at the bottom here. Yeah, and I'm saying that over the course of not even minutes, but measured in cuts in this movie, the colonel and uh, a team get into and up to many thousands of feet. I have to say, it's got to be at least three or 5,000 feet. I think we lose a lot. I think they cut out all of the elevator time. I think if you really watch this action scene play out in real time, it takes hours because everybody gets into an elevator and then they have to wait 20 minutes for it to get to the other end of the mountain. It's a giant spiral with a people mover. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's just say graciously the people mover can move 60 people at a time. There's a whole platoon. Uh, well, anyway, what we oh. see happening here is we have the allies, and that includes uh, Dernier and and Marita coming in at the bottom of the mountain. They blow their way in. We, I, I assume they're at the bottom of the mountain. We actually have no idea where they are, but they're exploding their way through a door. So my guess is that they came in from the bottom. That doesn't make a ton of sense, actually, now that I think about it, though, because Tommy Lee Jones, Ca- Colonel Phillips, he gets the word from them with uh, Peggy Carter and the rest of the allies that they're in. So now they invade from the bottom. So I have no idea where Dernier and Marita came in. Uh, suddenly, none of this makes any sense. Well, right. Because they, wait, you mean where they were swinging Did in? Did they bore their way through the mountain? They bored their way <laughs> through the mountain. Well, they didn't swing in. This is, again, my question no, to, right. like, the train they sequence in, earlier. Why in. did only three come on the zip lines? It's like they only know how to send three people on a zip line at a time. These Howling Commandos need to learn how to <laughs> use more, put more people on a zip line. <laughs> that is it. Yep. Oh. Oh my this goodness. may be, in the legacy of the Marvel Movie Minute, the most important episode we've ever done. <laughs> Challenging the continuity of the Alps in Captain America. Uh, I've never been to the... Have either of you ever been to the Alps? No, I've I've never left the country. Yeah, there's nothing to see. (laughs) (laughs) You're not missing much. Uh, The base of it looks awfully like uh, the countryside outside of London, which I think is... (laughs) It's beautiful this time of year. Uh, I, you know, I don't know. It's the continuity with this mountain is going to plague me because it is so lush green and I get it. It's a production schedule. They have to work within the production schedule and all yada, 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 all that good stuff. But the mountains are snowy and it is so green at the bottom that, you know, sometimes it gets a little, a little confusing. That's funny. Anyway. Uh, what else do we have to say about this minute? Is there any more? I mean, haven't we solved it? <laughs> uh, if anything, we've gotten more confused. More confused. Um, we see a lot of the Tesseract blasts. I do like that it feels like, you know, this is a war with multiple types of weapons as the allies run in. You know, you see a lot of people with bullets, but then you see a lot of these Hydra troopers with the uh, with the Tesseract weapons. And that's so, you know, it, it makes for an interesting war scene. It, it feels like World War II with aliens is kind of what it feels like. Well, yeah. And of course, I have to complain even more in, in, and get subversive joy out of how much 
lens flare we have in the troop running because I can't see this and not see a comedy because all the little lens flare blades are marching down. <laughs> lens flare, lens flare. Like, it's really funny. I don't know why I am an island and think all of this lens flare from the blue goo in the guns is as funny as it is, but I cannot. I It just, it takes me right out of out of the movie. It really does. Yeah, I've, I've always re- re- referred to them as blue splody guns. The blue splody <laughs> guns. Yeah, yeah, that's a new term of art. I think we can really lean in on that. <laughs> and I, I, I definitely remember not liking them the first time I watched it because I get I felt like it was really a a cr- like a PG thirteen crutch. It's like to, yeah. to have these these blue splody guns that evaporate them instead of. A bunch of dead bodies, and right. which is weird because they, you know, they still have people using real guns, and they still have the the bloodless dead bodies, and a surprisingly amount of bloody <laughs> moments throughout the film. Yeah, you know, that's actually an interesting point because if the goal of Schmidt is to use this Tesseract to create weapons that are more powerful and more destructive that he can essentially take over the entire world with, which is what his goal is. Does it feel like we're not getting that when we actually see a war scene with the weapons used where it feels like, oh, it's just another gun and it's just another war with soldiers killing each other on both sides? Wait a minute. Are you making a comment on the fact that when the guns are used, the bodies disappear? Well, no. Well, I'm making a comment on the fact that are they any more powerful than a real gun? You know, it, like if if Schmidt's goal is to create weapons that are more powerful and can give him world control, are we seeing that in what's demonstrated here? I mean, it's you know, a, a kind of a you know a, a grotesque uh, you know conversation, but a dead body from a bullet it's going to be as comparable as a body that's been evaporated by a Tesseract weapon. You know, you you have no one there to, to shoot at you anymore. You get a bit more armor piercing potentially with the uh, Tesseract weapons. But yeah, in, at least as we see in the, in this movie, it's still, you know, one shot per person. It, it's not like they can do a spray and, and take out a, a whole platoon in one go. <laughs> That's true. There is no spray of the blue splody uh, munition, which is problematic. It feels like as soon as the the blue goo hits a guy, that guy disappears and the blue goo stops. Yeah, like it just stops working. There is no like blowback. There's no. I yeah. I totally. I get that. That's a that's unfortunate byproduct of a poor, must be a poorly designed space weapon. Well, I, you know, to that end, it just feels like if if that were Schmidt's goal. He's not succeeding with it. You know, I mean, maybe he would with the bombs that he is planning on dropping over the cities. And maybe those are the big blue splodies that would actually really destroy an entire city's worth of things. But again, that's kind of like a nuclear weapon. Like there are so many things suddenly as I'm thinking about this, that it's like it's just you're just another army with weapons. Like nothing about this says, oh, I can I can control the world because I have this blue box. Yeah. And and we can't have a weapon that powerful. Otherwise, the the movies, the balance of the movie is like there aren't enough superheroes for that level of weapon. We need to wait until we get some more unity for that level of weapon. 
And it's not like they can make it make the weapons any faster because they they still just have the it's still coming from just one source. And while the source may be limitless, but it's still they can only draw so much of it, so much from it at a time. And 60 percent new, 60 percent more. (laughs) That's important. Yeah, it's well, I mean, it's it's an interesting plan that schmidt has i guess we'll just leave it at that <laughs> you know as a warmonger and he is out there uh mongering his war and yeah he needs to be this level of baddie and that's enough for cap at this point and i'm okay with it yeah yeah um all right well the minute ends as we get uh i don't know what happened to gabe jones but now we have uh dum dum fallsworth and Dernier rounding the corner. I also don't know what happened to Marita, but the two of them suddenly have disappeared. And now it's these three coming around the corner, and Dum Dum is now wielding the Arnimulation uh, weapon, and he is blasting at the Hydra Troopers. And that's where the minute ends. We can talk more about the Howling Commandos and all that next time. But, uh, yeah, as it stands, any last thoughts on this minute? One line, I think the uh, you might need this is not quite a get this man a shield but it's it's not <laughs> not too bad <laughs> well he seems to do okay with just a hydro trooper in front of him too he can just <laughs> grab one of them <laughs> <laughs> all right uh well nate tell everybody about uh, what you're up to and where people can find more of you out there on the interwebs sure I'm, i'll start out with um you know my Longest running site is uh, flightstightsandmovienights.com. That's where I have written reviews of over 500 superhero movies. I've slowed down on it quite a bit, but I still try to get uh, written reviews of the the new movies as they come out. Uh, As we're recording this, I am just about to write something for Werewolf by Night and Black Adam. but I, I don't write on there as much as I used to. And, uh, you know, everything um, that I'm doing, you can find me on Twitter where I'm at Bubba Wheat. Bubba Wheat. Fantastic. All right. Well, we will be back uh, tomorrow to talk about Minute 97. So, uh, Nate, thanks again. Thank you. And Pete, we'll talk to you next time. I'm Pete Wright. Elevation 239 feet. Is that really your elevation? Yeah, right now. Like little baby elevation. (laughs) Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega. And this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show.